Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew. 
I am your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tyler Pa. I'm joined this morning once again by my wife, Hasadaya. Welcome, everybody, to the show, man. I hope everybody is healthy. I hope everybody is uh, well-rested, man. Uh, I know a lot of us are back to the grind today uh, because we had uh, Nimrod's birthday off, and I know that a lot of us in the Hebrew Israelite community, specifically uh, the one here in San Antonio and H-Town and VA in Rochester, is uh, probably recovering, man, from... um, (coughs) All the partying that we did for Hanukkah, man, and uh, I want to say, man, I am very pleased, very satisfied with the outcome of this year's feast, man. We had a great time. I know I did. I had a ball, man. I really enjoyed myself. It was good to see all the brothers and the sisters, Um, especially on Sunday, man. They came up from H-Town. It's a beautiful thing um, to connect with those brothers and sisters, man, and to see the growth. And Mashaba said it, uh, the first day of the feast, man, and I want to echo that. I'm always taken back, man, by watching the little ones come up, man, watching them come up, um, and then just thinking about it, man, that, I I was around to see these children be born (laughs) and to watch them grow like weeds, and now they're uh, teenagers, and some of them are adults coming into their own, having their own children. I mean, a war son, a lie shot. This dude's about to be a father, and I remember (laughs) this dude on our flag football team that we had which consisted of all of our kids back in the day, man. He was a little whippersnapper. Now this dude about to have kids, man. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Um, making us just, I know myself, feel old as I don't know what. But it's a pleasure to see, man. It really is. And I want to send shouts out to those brothers. That's some pictures, too, man, from the brother uh, Bakar Gabar from VA, he sent me some pictures of them feasting, man. And like I said, the, the Feast of Hanukkah, man, I went over it last week. Lasts for eight days, man, so we be partying, man, for eight days. Um, I really, really enjoyed myself this year, man. This one this one was a good one. This one was definitely a good one, one for the books. I want to send shouts out to those brothers, brothers here in San Antonio, brothers H-Town, VA, Rochester, the brothers in ABQ. Also, shouts out to uh, Kyle Cobb down in Guatemala. And shouts out to 12 Tribes Worldwide, y'all. Welcome to the show. This is Sword of Truth Bible Talk, sponsored by ISBHPK. If it's your first time tuning in to the show, I do about an hour's of news, current events, but uh, I'm not going to do any news today. I'm not. I'm just going to dive right into this topic. I've been working on this topic for quite some time. Uh, it's titled Never Wax Pale. This is part seven to this series. Um, I'm trying to decide 
if I'm going to continue with the title, uh, because I'm going to go in depth uh, more on our heritage, who we are, because I've proved, I hope, beyond a reasonable reason of a doubt, that those people that say they are Jews are, in fact, not the true biblical Jews of the Bible. They are converts. And I'm going to um, further expand on that uh, topic today, and then we're going to get into, okay, well, who are the real Jews? So without further ado, y'all, let me get this. This is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily, y'all, so we can get up out of this place. Is that leaking? Yeah. So we can get up out of this place, man. So let's get um she's doing that, I guess I'll get it. Psalms chapter one eighteen and verse twenty four. What's that up? So this is Psalms chapter one eighteen and verse twenty four. This is the day in which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, man. The most high about you truly going to bring you through it and bring you out on the other side better than you were before, man. I also want to send shouts out to my cousin, Devin. Shouts out to you because I got your videos, man. It's hard to keep up. you sending me so much stuff. But uh, keep sending them, man. Um, good, good uh, topics for discussion. And some of that, some of that, what you sent me, I'm gonna touch on a little bit uh, here in a, in a little bit in the class. So, um, like I said, this is part seven, y'all. Go back to the archives if you haven't, if you're not up to date with the classes, and um, get the rest of the topic. So I'm going to do, I don't want to necessarily call this a recap, but just, let me see. Use this as a springboard because the last class that we did dealing with the topic, because last week I covered Hanukkah, and it was a brief uh, course in Hanukkah, what it is, uh, how many days we should celebrate it um, as as to the how we celebrate, man, we just party, man. There's no uh, blueprint for celebrating Hanukkah, but it is, in fact, a feast of dedication. And um, it truly was, man, a feast of de- dedication. Um, because you read in Maccabees how it tells us that uh, the brothers went in and cleaned the temple up and rededicated the temple to the Most High because the temple was dilapidated, 
It was defiled. They had a bunch of uh, swine's flesh on the altar. They, they basically turned the temple of the Most High into the temple, the temple of Jupiter and all those other uh, deities that the Greeks and Romans uh, worshipped and cherished, man. But uh, us going in, the brothers going in and doing that was very significant and symbolic, y'all. Very symbolic. Let me get this. Uh, let's get first Corinthians. And I'm coming, y'all. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get into the topic. This is just hit me though. So First Corinthians chapter three and verse sixteen. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So we are that temple. We are definitely the temple of the Most High, and the Most High does dwell in us. I know uh, a lot of religious people uh, coming from religious black backgrounds believe that the church is the temple of the Most High, and you got to go to church to praise and worship Him and all that other stuff. But the Most High also says this. Let's get a... Uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 47, it says, uh, but Solomon built him a house, <laughs> right? Solomon's temple. And the temple, uh, which is the uh, the topic at hand, going, uh, talking about the Maccabees. But then, like I said, it's symbolic because we're finding out that we're also the temple of the Most High. So it reads, I'm uh, reading again, Acts chapter 7. Are you there yet? Yes, sir. Get that for me. Read it. Acts 7, 47. But Solomon built him an house. Read. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. It says the Most High don't dwell in temples that are made with hands, man. I hope I hope everybody is, is getting this. So you don't need to run up in no church thinking, okay, I'm praising the Lord. The Lord is in this church. No. And earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? So the Most High is like, how can I be contained to just a building when heaven is my throne and I got my feet chilling, resting on the earth? So how am I going to fit into some to some building, man? Like I said, you got people running around telling, oh, no, God is in my church. No, he ain't in y'all church. He over here. He over there. How are you going to confine him to just one place? When you refer to him as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Omnipresence. Omnipresence, meaning that he's everywhere at every time. But you're just gonna confine him to a building? No. And this is one of my favorite scriptures I used to hit my mother with when I first came into the truth, telling me I needed to go to church. I'm like, Mama, do I'm in church every day. Let's get that again. First Corinthians chapter three and verse sixteen. First Corinthians 3 and 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? The spirit of the most high dwells in us, y'all, in our spirit, in our housing. Let's get First Corinthians 6 and verse 19. In case some people really don't get that, he's talking about your actual body. First Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That which your what? 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. See that, y'all? <laughs> Read. Which is in you, mm-hmm. which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Because we ain't our own. We can't do what we want to do. Paul said in uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter that uh, he was a prisoner of Christ. He also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 1, be ye followers of me. Follow follows Christ. So if you want to follow Christ like Paul, and back to Ephesians chapter 4, he said he was a prisoner. So we're all prisoners, meaning what? You can't do what you want to do. We have restraints. We have boundaries. And it's good to have restraints and boundaries because the world don't have that. And look how damn crazy they are. Read on. For ye are bought with a price. And that price was the blood of your house shy. Yahweh Shai, innocent man, who the world knows Jesus Christ, gave his life for us. That's the price we were bought with. That's why we ain't our own. That's why we can't do what we want to do. Read. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And this is how you glorify the most high. You keep your temple clean. And that's what I wanted to get to is referring back to Hanukkah and the cease the dedication, rededicating our temples, our spirits, cleaning house, so to speak. And I was talking to Meshav about it, man, and there's so much stuff going on, and there's a lot of things that are coming out in the wash with us. When I say coming out in the wash, a lot of the dirt that's coming out of our, out of our spirits, based on some of the events, personal events on my side and his also, that are coming out and people we're seeing. And we shouldn't be upset about it. We shouldn't be mad about it. I know we're going to go through changes because we're human and we have emotions, but we got to understand that these things have to come out in the wash in order for these spirits to be clean, man. And I think that a lot of times we lose track of that, and this is why we be taking people so personally. It's because we're not, we're not understanding that we're around a bunch of sick people and when you're around sick people, what happens? Germs are flying everywhere. <laughs> Coughing, sneezing, snotting, mucus, getting all over you. It's the same in the spiritual realm, man. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, man. Spiritual wickedness in high places. That is a fact. But my point in saying this, man, it's good that all the dirt is coming out, is being agitated by circumstances and the spirit of the most high, like the agitator in the washer, right, in the washing machine. It agitates the clothes, brings the dirt out, takes the clothes out, they clean. But do those clothes stay clean, y'all? No, they don't. And our spirits don't stay clean either. They get dirty on a daily. So we have to clean them on a daily by way of using the spirit of the most high, which is the Bible. hope everybody's getting that. So I just wanted to share that real quick. Now let me get into the class, y'all. So small recap. So let's do this, Hasadai. Uh, let's go to Wikipedia, that Jerusalem timeline. And I want you to read here and start from 1917. So we're going to be jumping a lot, y'all. I got a lot of books as usual. Uh, a lot of reading. We're going to get to it. So get that. From the Jerusalem timeline, 
in wikipedia.org beginning at 1917. <clears throat> the Ottomans are defeated at the Battle of Jerusalem during the First World War. So the Ottomans, in case you don't know, are the so-called Turkish people who are actually Edomites, y'all. They were Edomites who practiced Mohammedism, also known as Islam, and they came into power around the mid-1400s is when they came into power. They overthrew uh, the Byzantine Empire or the Backwards Empire. They called it backwards because the word Byzantine means contrary. And it was contrary because you had black people in rulership and authority and power, and it was us, y'all. All throughout Europe, all throughout Euro-Asia and Russia, that was us in uh, control, in power, in rulership. And so these cats came in. So like I said, they came in um, during the Renaissance era, the mid to late 1400s. And this is, and the word Renaissance means rebirth, because what was being reborn was being reborn was the white man's power stru- uh, structure and him coming back into power. This is where you get all the Renaissance art from, the false uh, painting, depiction of Christ, all of this stuff. This is what they ushered in. So we're talking about these cats in 1917. What happened to them? The British Army's general, Allenby, enters Jerusalem on foot in a reference to the entrance of Caliph Umar in 637. The Balfour Declaration had been issued just a month before. So the British, they storm in, and they basically take over the Ottoman uh, Empire's territory. This was what uh, was. This is what World War One was about. I covered that in the previous class. So this is one of the reasons World War One was fought, because the British uh, wanted to occupy that territory, specifically Jerusalem, so they could give it away. To the Edomites, the converts, also known as the um, what's the name of the damn people, uh, the Kaisars. All right, so let's go to the book. Uh, who is Esau? Edom, page thirty-eight, y'all. Oh, sorry, y'all. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So this corresponds with what we just got off of Wikipedia's Jerusalem timeline. So read this. Yeah, read the highlight course. Who is Esau Edom, page 38? Why then were the leaders of the Zionist movement insistent upon a Jewish state in Palestine and nowhere else? <clears throat> if half of Europe would have been offered to these Zionists, they would still rather have the small barren land of Palestine. So... Um, this idea came up during the 1700s, I believe, about having a place for the converts, also known as Jewish people, for them to have a place they could settle. And they're talking about all the people from uh, Euro-Asia, from Russia, all the Stans and all those places. Reno? Why? Is it, it is partly because the Jews are incapable of existing on their own, but in Palestine they could draw Christian support as chosen people. They could draw what? Support Christian, as... Christian support as God's chosen people because they have. Because I remember, even for myself growing up, 
my mother told me that those are God's chosen people. This is what Mama Deuce told me. She denies it now, <laughs> ironically. But I distinctively remember her telling me that. And I, I felt some kind of way. Like, what you mean God chosen people? So what the hell are we? <laughs> you know, it makes you feel like you're left to nothing when somebody tells you God chosen people, which is why I can understand why they stole our identity. <laughs> I get that. But it says that they gain Christian support because Christians respect that. Because even if you read the Bible or you don't, surely you've heard about God's chosen people. You know, the ones that uh, God part the Red Sea for and destroyed the Egyptian army? Yeah, everybody's heard about that. So this was their logic, and this what made them, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is what made gave them their credibility. Partly because the Jews are incapable of existing on their own, but in Palestine they could draw Christian support as God's chosen people. Returning to Zion, there would clearly be great political and financial leverage to be had by possessing the ancient high places of the true Israel people. See, this has nothing to do with biblical principles. This has everything to do with power. I hope everybody's seeing this. You know? The leaders of Edom did have a plan. As the counterfeit Israel people, they could use their cover to fulfill Edomite goals, not Israelite ones. Y'all see that? All right, now jumping over to page 39. The area of Palestine had been under the control and rule of Turkey or its Ottoman Empire, which had existed since 1299 A.D. Now, we just got that off the Wikipedia uh, site, which shows y'all that, yeah, man, Wikipedia is the reliable source of information. Just line it right up. But read on. In 1882, Edmund Rothschild, a Jew, began financing a Jewish society which attempted the immigration of a considerable number of Jewish settlers into Palestine. So this was Rothschild. What year did he give? 1882. 1882. Now read that right there off the timeline. From Wikipedia, 1882, the first Aliyah results in 25,000 to 35,000 Zionist immigrants entering the Palestine region. See? Hand in hand. Back to uh, who was Esau, who was Edom? Uh, in 1882, Edmund Rothschild, a Jew, began financing a Jewish society which attempted the immigration of a considerable number of Jewish settlers into Palestine, prompting the Turkish authorities immediately to publish orders to forbid further entry. See, because the Turkish people, they had beef because they were saying this is our land because, remember, this was their territory. And they saw the move that the Brits was making along with the Jewish people to come in. And remember, it said Rothschild, y'all. So now you can understand why the Rothschilds own everything, because they're they're part of the converts. They're they're um, imposters also. Where are you at now? Special. Are you finished it? Mm-hmm. All right, jump down to the other highlight. To establish their political goals, the Zionists needed a political change in the Palestinian territory, and there is nothing that can cause political change more assur- assuredly than war. So they needed uh, 
something that was going to work. And he said, nothing works like war. So that, like I said, this is why World War One was fought. But we're going to also find out World War Two <laughs> was fought, too, to establish Israel as a homeland for those imposters, you know? The international Zionist bankers and plutocrats thus instigated the Balkan War, 1912 mm-hmm. to 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I was missing something, man. My kids got on here, and they just erased and closed all my damn um, sites I had open. All right, now what you reading about right now? The Balkan Balkan one. Read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brought a revolt against Turkey, weakening it and causing it to lose some of its territory. Right. Now, I want you to read from this. From Wikipedia, Balkan Wars. The Balkan Wars refers to a series of two conflicts that took place in the Balkan states in 1912 and 1913. In the first Balkan War, the four Balkan states of Greece, Serbia, Montenegro and Bulgaria declared war upon the upon the Ottoman Empire and defeated it. In the process, stripping the Ottomans of its European provinces, leaving only Eastern Thrace under the Ottoman Empire's control. You see that? Y'all hear this? So this is going right hand in hand what we're reading. So this dude is uh, historically right. He on point with his research. Going back to uh, who's Esau, who's Edom. The Balkan crisis was like a powder keg in the European arena, and its repercussions helped to precipitate World War One on July 28, 1914. I'm not making stuff up. This led to World War One, but this was all about acquiring Israel for those imposters. Read on. It was necessary to bring Turkey in on the side of Germany and the Central Powers because the Zionists knew that an Allied victory was expected to result in major territorial changes in the Ottoman Empire, of which Palestine was a part. Page 41. United States went into the war to help bail out Britain through the insistence of his intimate advisor, Zionist agent Colonel Edward M. House Woodrow Wilson brought the U.S. into the war in April 1917. You see this? The U.S. gets brought into the war. Read on. The British forces took possession of Palestine in 1917. Though the war persisted, the Zionists were pressuring the British to formally issue a declaration that stated Great Britain favored the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. I hope y'all are listening. Read. On July 18, 1917, Lord Lionel Walter Rothschild submitted a draft declaration to Balfour, expressing to him what the Zionists wanted. And this is also known as where you get the Balfour Declaration from, y'all. In this, in this book, he's got a copy of the declaration and what it actually said. I don't know if you can read that. Can you? 
No. No, the, the, the letter that's right next to it. Uh, yeah. Oh, you can read it? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and read it. This is a facsimile of the Balfour Declaration, dated November 2nd, 1917. Dear Lord Rothschild, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His Majesty's government view would favor the establishment in Palestine as a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object, it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. I should be grateful if you would bring this declaration to the knowledge of the Zionist Federation. So there you go, y'all. That's the, the famous Belfort Declaration. Now read on uh, the rest of it. Later, Balfour addressed the British War Cabinet on the matter, and at that meeting, the declaration was adopted. Two days later, on November 2nd, 1917, Lord Balfour wrote a letter to Lionel Rothschild enclosing a copy of the declaration and requesting him to communicate it to the Zionist Federation. This became known as the Balfour Declaration. Now jump to page, what page is that right there? That's 41. That's 41, all right, cool, Uh, 42. Palestine had had been occupied and ruled by the Arabs ever since the Muslim forces conquered it in 637 A.D., The act of establishing a national home for one group of people in an occupied area such as this. Now, when it says the Muslims are still talking about the Ottoman Turks. Read on. Such as this was an unprecedented innovation in international law. Mm -hmm. The Zionists faced the burden of convincing the world that the Jews should be given the right to occupy Palestine. See, they had to convince the world of this because the whole world knew that they were converts. The whole world knew they were imposters, man. This is the the, the world's, uh, <laughs> I ain't going to say best kept secret, because it ain't a secret. Everybody knows this. You know? Since this country already had a population which had been there for centuries. Had been there for how long? Centuries. And this was the Arabs. Remember, the Most High kicked us out. We're going to go into that, too. We're going to get the scriptures to prove it. The Most High kicked us out of our land, and it was occupied by foreign nationalists for centuries. We hadn't been there, particularly the Arabs. And what their their issue was with uh, the imposters coming in and trying to claim this land and be set up for them was, hey, man, we've been here all this damn time. How are you just going to come in here and take us out of this land because it ain't their land in the first place? So they were basically fighting over stolen land, you know? Since this country already had a population which had been there for centuries, 1,300 years, it could not be simply handed over to the Jewish people. And you, and you know how Esau is. They don't have a problem with discovering land <laughs> where people already occupy. Case in point, the United States, matter of fact, the Americas in general, you know? The British government made several unsuccessful attempts to quiet Arab feelings of hostility to the Zionist plans. 
Since the Balfour Declaration guarded the rights of the Arab population, no definite conclusions could be arrived at. Another political change was needed, as that only a war can bring. With Franklin D. Roosevelt and Winston Churchill willing partners of the Zionists, it took little effort to bring America and Britain into World War II. You see this? <laughs> so we, these wars be going on, y'all, and a lot of us don't have a clue why, what, what they're even being fought over. What we're finding out, this is what they was fighting over. This was the reason for World War I, World War II. That's why the Most High causes his treasure, man. I don't think our people really understand the significance of our identity, our true identity, and how that pertains to uh, global conflicts. No different than back in Egypt, man. The Most High shut the world down for us. He's going to do the same thing. But you see how these people are fighting, <laughs> pretending to be us, and look at the repercussions that it's had around the globe. Read. The aftermath of the war allowed the Jewish Zionists to establish their international organization called the United Nations on October 24th. So who runs the United Nations? Oh, the Jewish Zionists. The Jewish Zionists run the United Nations. I hope you understand this. America being their key ally. So when you hear United Nations, think of fake Jewish people or fake Jews. Rio? The aftermath of the war allowed by the Jewish Zionists to establish their international organization called the United Nations on October 24, 1945. In 1947, the British gave up their Palestine mandate. So in 47, the Brits was like, okay, I'm done. We're done. We wash our hands with it. It's all y'all's now. Read. And placed the Palestine problem in the hands of the Zionist-created Communist-controlled United Nations. The General Assembly approved plans to place Jerusalem under international control and to partition Palestine into separate Arab and Jewish states. So this is why you got, you always hear it on the news, the Arabs are fighting in Palestine or the Gaza Strip, all these places that conflict over. This is why it's going on. You got two people fighting over stolen land that don't belong to neither one of them. The boundary lines drawn in Palestine, according to the Zionist partition plan, a Jewish state in Palestine was established with the backing of the United Nations. On May 14, 1948. Now, 1948 is the year that we're all familiar with, with the state of Israel being made into a state. But you see all the stuff that led up to it. A lot of stuff happened before 1948, y'all. In 1948, just didn't come about, and hey, boom, they got the land. This was very intricate. Read on. On May. What uh, page you in? Uh, All right, that's the last one. Go ahead. On May 14, 1948, the Jewish state proclaimed its independence under its president, Chaim Wiseman, and Prime Minister David Ben Gurion. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So we got another source. This is, uh, tell them where we're reading from, the author, the book. 
and we're going to go to page 223. The 13th Tribe by Arthur Kessler. Page 223. And if you're unfamiliar with this book that Arthur Kessler wrote, y'all, and it's entitled The 13th Tribe because we know that there are only 12 tribes. But what this dude was saying, this is an Edomite, by the way, fake Jew. He was saying that if his people are the true Jews, then they would have to be a 13th tribe. That's why he titled the book The 13th Tribe. Because he's added himself on the Exactly. <laughs> Cultural right. appropriation. Culture bullshit, man. Page 223. Some implications, Israel and the diaspora. While this book deals with past history, it's unavoidably carry certain implications for the present and future. Now, hear this. So he knows. These people got plans, y'all. They, they're, they're really playing chess. They've got things in the works that we don't even know about, including now last week I touched on it briefly about the uh, conference or the roundtable discussion that they were having in Washington about anti-Semitism. That's just a small part of their plot, and that's just containment. This is trying to contain the damage that's been done uh, from the movie Hebrews to Nero's, from Ye saying all the stuff that he's saying, because now people are doing their research. Now people are digging. As I'm bringing out, the information is there, y'all. All you got to do is look for it, Brachatai. Remember what Yahweh Shah said, he that, uh, he that seeks shall find. <laughs> All you got to do is look for it. So read on. In the first place, I am aware of the danger that it may be maliciously inter- misinterpreted as a denial of the state of Israel's right to exist. So what he's saying is he he's aware that people are going to say that he's doing this maliciously and he's mistaken about the existence of Palestine as a state for the Jewish people. You know? But that right is not based on the hypothetical origins of the Jewish people, nor on the mythological covenant of Abraham with God. It is based on international law. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that they don't have right to it because the reason they're there is not based off of anything biblical. He says based off of international law, politics. For example... On the United States, on the, on the United Nations decision in 1947 to partition Palestine, once a Turkish province, then a British-mandated territory, into an Arab and Jewish state, whatever the Israeli citizens' racial origins or whatever illusions and whatever illusions they entertain about them, their state exists, exists de jure and de facto, and cannot be undone by genocide. <clears throat> He said, you can't, uh, you can't undo this. He said, except by genocide. That's where he's wrong. Because what's going to happen, we know biblically, that Yahweh is coming back to destroy this wicked nation and all, this, all of his allies, including those fake people who he referred to as the synagogue of Satan. I mean, the word synagogue means house. The word Satan means adversary. So these people are the chief adversaries of the Most High. Read on. 
Without entering into controversial issues, one may add, as a matter of historical fact, that the partition of Palestine was the result of a century of peaceful Jewish immigration and pioneering efforts, which provide the ethical justification for the state's legal existence. Whether the chromosomes of its people contain genes of Khazar or Semitic, Roman, or Spanish origin is irrelevant and cannot affect Israel's right to exist nor the moral obligation of any civilized person, Gentile or Jew, to defend that right. Even the geographical origin of the native Israeli's parents or grandparents tends to be forgotten in the bubbling racial melting pot. The problem of the Khazar infusion a thousand years ago, however, fascinating, is irrelevant to modern Israel. The Jews who inhabit it, regardless of their checkered origins, possess the essential requirements of a nation, a country of their own, a common language, government, and army. So he's saying they have all the things that you need to be a nation, but all these things were made up, fabricated. Read on. The Jews of the diaspora have none of these requirements of nationhood. What sets them apart as a special category from the Gentiles amidst whom they live is their declared religion. So he's talking about those Jewish people from Euro-Asia and Russia. He says, what? Repeat that part. What sets them apart as a special category from the Gentiles amidst whom they live is their declared religion. Is their declared religion. And I remember years ago, man. This is why I came into the truth. My cousin asked me, he said, Jewish, is it a, he asked me, is it a nationality or is it a religion? He asked me this years ago, like I said, before I even came into the truth. And I thought about this, man, and I couldn't answer it because obviously I ain't had the knowledge. But it is, in fact, a religion, y'all. When you say Jewish, you automatically think of a religion. You don't think of a people. That's why they have so many uh Orthodox Jewish people, or what they call, um, man, what's the term? Come on, please. The Not the converse. They call Messianic, Messianic uh, Jews. But when you look at the Messianic Jews, it includes all cultures and all nations and all people. So it's a religion, not a nationality. Whether they practice it or not. Here lies the basic difference between Israelis and the Jews of the diaspora. The former have acquired a national identity. The latter are labeled as Jews only by their religion. You see, he said they've acquired a national identity. Not they were born with this idea. They acquired it from us. Then he talks about the other one, and he said that what? The former have acquired a national identity. The latter are labeled as Jews only by their religion, not by their nationality, not by their race. This, however, creates a tragic paradox because the Jewish religion, unlike Christianity, Buddhism, or Islam, implies membership of a historical nation, a chosen race. (laughs) All Jewish festivals commemorate events in national history. Man, this is what I said last week. This is why you got to love Aha Holy Days, man, because they commemorate historical, biblical events that actually happened. 
the Passover, <laughs> Feast of Eleven Bread, the Booths, Day of Atonement. I mean, all of them. Hanukkah, we just celebrated that. Historical events you can go and find in history books. Go online, look it up. But none of these prophecies, none of these historic events fit them, as we're going to get into. But read on. The exodus from Egypt, the Maccabean revolt, the death of the oppressor, Canaan. Now, that's talking about the book of Esther. They, they, they can't trace none of their lineage to this. I mean, they can, but they will be on the other side. <laughs> they will be the opposition. They wouldn't be us. Read on. The destruction of the temple. The Old Testament is first and foremost the narrative of a nation's history. Do y'all hear this? It's not a religious book. This is a nation's history. Our people, our nation. Man, I try to tell people this all the time. The Bible is a history book about a people's history, culture, their triumphs, their battles and struggles. It's not a religious book, man. Stop. Read. It gave monotheism to the world. It gave what? Monotheism to the world. We gave the belief in one God to the whole world. Because the rest of the world, they're pagans. They've been pagans since the beginning of time. Tell since the garden, they've been pagans. Read. Yet its credo is tribal rather than universal. Every prayer and ritual observed. I'm sorry. It says that our credo is tribal, the 12 tribes, y'all, not universal. So y'all want to go into the New Testament and get uh, confused, not even confused, but try to validate yourselves as children of God by the terminology that uh, Paul uses when he says Jews and Gentiles and all this and nations. Try to graft y'all. Y'all, y'all love saying that. We've been grafted in. That chapter ain't even talking about y'all. <laughs> Romans the tenth chapter, by the way. The very first verse tells you it ain't talking about y'all. Go on. Every prayer and ritual observance proclaims membership of an ancient race, which automatically separates the Jew ancient what? race and and. That's, that's what that clown uh, Jason Whitlock was trying to come uh, come uh, come at uh, Bishop Nathaniel on talking about. You keep talking about black and black and black. Is that it? Yeah, that's a that's a major part of it. Stupid, because our heritage is based off of what race. We're reading it now, and they kill me when we try to when we show people the Bible and we show them that we're the people of the Bible. And we bring out us in the Bible. And I'm talking about color scriptures. Also Deuteronomy chapter 28. Then they want to say, oh, color doesn't matter. Race is no big deal. Or you're being, uh, uh, is this is race, race idolatry or whatever the hell. Stupid terms they want to come up with. <laughs> like it don't matter. So all of a sudden, race don't matter now. But why we had Jim Crow in this country? I, I'm listening. Why were there Jim Crow laws? Because I guess race really does matter, huh? I guess color does matter, huh? Why was there a need for affirmative action then? 
if color doesn't matter. Come on, man. Y'all, y'all can sell that crap to somebody that's stupid. But we know what we worship. We know the Bible. We know color does matter, fool. Color don't matter, but you got black, un, unarmed black people getting killed by white people. But color don't matter. For us here in San Antonio, walk your ass through uh, Alamo Whites at 2 in the morning. Being a, a brown or a black man, tell me color don't matter. We don't. Which automatically separates the Jew from the race and historic past of the people in whose midst he lives. The Jewish faith, as shown by 2,000 years of tragic history, is nationally and socially self-segregating. It sets the Jew apart and invites his being set apart. It automatically creates physical and cultural ghettos. It transformed the Jews of the diaspora into a pseudo-nation without any of the attributes and privileges of nationhood. See that? They're imposters, man. And the thing that gets me about this is, get me about what she's reading is this. People say that the Hebrew Israelites, we're racist, or we're racist because we're uh, exclusive. But don't y'all understand that the Bible's exclusive? It only pertains to one people. But these fake Jews been saying this for years, and y'all ain't said nothing about them being exclusive. Y'all ain't said nothing about them being racist. But we said now we racist. Now we're uh, discriminating. I want y'all to understand, man, we can't be racist. Racism is an institution. It's the banks. It's the schools. It's the um, schools, the, the housing. It's an institution, the penal system. It's an institution that's set up against us. So how, how the hell could we be racist? We don't own nothing. We don't have no authority. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. We keep reading. We're almost done with this, y'all. Held together loosely by a system of traditional beliefs based on racial and historical premises, which turn out to be illusory. Turns out to be what? Illusory. Y'all know what illusory is? An illusion. This is what this dude is saying. It's an illusion that these people are painting for themselves as being the true biblical God's chosen people. What page are you on? Page 225. It is, however, not easy to define what the term Jewish tradition signifies in the eyes of this enlightened majority who reject the chosen race doctrine of orthodoxy. That doctrine apart, that doctrine apart, the universal messages of the Old Testament, the enthronement of the one and invisible God, the Ten Commandments, the ethos of Hebrew prophets and proverbs and songs, have entered into the mainstream of the Judeo-Hellenic Christian tradition. Oh, my goodness. Wait, 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 wait a minute. We ain't going to just read over that. It says that our culture and heritage, the prophecies of the Bible, everything we went to, has spilled over into mainstream. <laughs> Y'all see this, man? 
So you ask, so what's so bad about them stealing our identity? This is open up our heritage, our inheritance to the whole world. That's some foul. That's some foul manure. <laughs> I'm going to be politically correct. Go ahead, finish it. Mainstream of the Judeo-Hellenic Christian tradition and become the common property of Jew and Gentile alike. You see this? And then that's why I said they like to use the terminology from Paul's misunderstood writings in the New Testament to justify, validate their ideology, which is, what did he say? Illusory. Illusory, Mm -hmm. an illusion. That's it, right? Yes. All right, y'all. So with that, let's get Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to start at verse 5. All right, you got it? Yes. All right, read that. Ezekiel 36 and 5. For thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen. He says he's spoken against the residue of the heathen. The word heathen means nation or Gentile. I want us to understand this. He's speaking against them. So if he's speaking against them, how the hell are they going to be saved? Come on, man. He will read completely over stuff. And this is why they give you a Bible. They give you a New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, because they don't want you to read the Old Testament. And this is why they also tell you, oh, the Old Testament was done away with when Christ got hung on the cross. This is why they tell you that nonsense. So you won't read stuff like this. Read it again. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Idumia. Against who? All Idumia. If you've been listening to class, I've proved beyond a reason of a doubt who the Idumians are. It's the so-called white people. In particular, these imposters who call themselves Jews. It said he's spoken against those people. He ain't with them. They, he's not their God. Which have, have appointed my land into their possession. They've done what? Appointed my land into their possession. Did y'all know that it was prophesied that they were going to get our land? Come on, this was written, written way before 1948. Read. With the joy of all their hearts. <laughs> Read. With the spiteful minds. To cast it out for a prey. And it's, when it says cast it out for a prey, it's talking about the people, us. We have become a prey. The whole world preys on us. It's like I always say, man, they have a, a love-hate relationship with us. They love, a, they love our culture. They love what we bring to this place. But they hate us because they know we're the true chosen people of God. And they hate God because God has morals, and they don't. They some damn heathens. Read on. Verse 6. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury. He spoke in his jealousy. 
and his fury. The Most High is pissed off, y'all. These these imposters, it's to piss the Most High off. You think we mad? <laughs> they stole our identity. The Most High is way more more pissed off than, than we are. Read. Because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. The Most High is like, oh, they don't, they don't get their payback. It's coming. Rest assured that it's coming. Read. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. So our day is coming, y'all, definitely. Now let's get Psalm chapter 147 and verse 19. I want, I want us to really understand the damage that these people have done by posing as us, the, the, the great criminality of this, man, for them to steal our identity. We, people take it lightly, man. This is the reason why it's so important to us that we're out on the street corners and we all on YouTube shouting it from the highest mouth so the whole world can hear it, man, that we're the true chosen people of God. This is important. And this is the, the, the like I said, the, the highest of crimes that you could ever commit against anybody is to steal their damn identity. Oh, yeah. Psalm 147:19, He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. The, the, he is talking about the Most High. He gave his word. We're the only people that ever received the Most High's word. We're the only people that ever had a relationship with him. Out of all the people in the world that he made, he chose a, he chose a peculiar people, which he calls us in Deuteronomy. The word peculiar means unique. He only chose to deal with us. He gave us law, statutes, and commandments. He gave us morals, which the world don't have morals. They will do, eat, and perform any act of debauchery. They just, they're lawless. The world is really lawless. We, we're the civilized ones. Was supposed to be anyway before we got corrupted by the nations, but we don't. He has not dealt so with any nation. He what? He has not dealt so with any nation. He dealt so with no any other nation, man. Read. And as and as for his judgments, they have not known them. They don't even know the judgments of the Most High. They don't know the, the laws, the statutes, and commandments of the Most High. So how the hell are they going to be saved? <laughs> how the hell Christ going to come and get them? It's not going to happen, y'all. Let's get Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read verse 15. I'm not making this up, y'all. We're reading out the Bible. The Most High is telling you how he feels about the other nations. So Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to get verse 15. We're going to read down to uh, 17. You got it? 
Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. The nations are of a, as a what? A drop of a bucket. If I had a bucket of water, one drop in that bucket is going to be insignificant. This is what the most high is saying. Read it again. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. So the so-called white man, he's insignificant. The Chinese man, insignificant. The Arab, insignificant. These people are insignificant. The Japanese, insignificant. They don't matter. This is what the Most High is saying. Read. No, we're we're fishing. We're fishing. And are counted as the small dust of the balance. So he's like, if you don't even understand the drop of a bucket analogy, he's giving you another one. He says they're like the dust of the balance. If you had dust on a scale, would that weigh the scale down? No, it's insignificant. Read. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. When he says isles, he's talking about the islands. He says they're a very little thing to him. Now watch this, read. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Now remember, back in the day when we sinned, we used to have to uh, burn a bullock or a turtle doves or whatever, or uh, 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 we burn different animals for different types of sins. So what the Most High is saying right here is Lebanon, the country of Lebanon, which are not our people, which are not the Most High people. He says that all Lebanon could burn, and it wouldn't be sufficient for a burnt offering, meaning he wouldn't care. He wouldn't even acknowledge it as an offering. This is how much he cares or doesn't care about the nations. They're insignificant to him. You don't believe it? What? Read on, verse 17. All nations be... Some, some nations? All nations. Only half of the nations? All nations. All nations, y'all. Read. Before him are as nothing. They're like what? As nothing. Read. And they are counted to him less than nothing. What is less than nothing? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He said that the nations are nothing to him. They're what? Less than nothing and vanity. All nations. So if the Most High said that there's nothing and less than nothing, then how is he concerned about them being saved? Huh? How are they going to make it into his kingdom when he says they're nothing? I hope y'all are really comprehending what we're reading, y'all. This is not the Bible. And no, this does not contradict the New Testament. It does not. Let's go there. Romans chapter 9. And we're going to start at verse 12. Yeah, we're going to the New Testament. Let me show y'all something. Mm-hmm. Romans 9 and 12 
It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. So this was said to uh, Rebecca that the elder son was going to serve the young. Because remember, she had twins, y'all. So the the elder son was uh, Esau. The younger son was Jacob. Now, usually you would have the youngest serve the oldest. But here it was going to be reversed. The most high prophesied this to her in Genesis, the 25th chapter. Read it again. It was said unto her, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Yeah, but if you've never read the Old Testament, when you get to the New Testament, you have no idea what the hell it's talking about. You see why it's so important, y'all, and see how it's all one book? Paul is just reiterating the stuff from the Old Testament. And whose history is that? The Israelites' history. <laughs> Read on. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You see this? And he said, as it is written. This is, man, say, let me get it. I'm going to just, I'm going to just prove it, y'all. Prove all things, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's in uh, Malachi. Bear with me, I'm sorry. Yes, in Malachi chapter 1. Let's read it. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2. Yeah, hold on. We'll come back to it. Matter of fact, just read it from there. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. So the you is talking about, it's talking about Jacob. It's talking about the Israelites. He said, I've loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? And we be saying, oh, how you love us? Because we've been through so much. You've taken so much from us. We've been through all this turmoil. We've lost loved ones. We've been poor. We've been in poverty. We've been disenfranchised. How you say you love us? What a lot of us be saying too, man. Read. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? <laughs> Read. Saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob. He said, yet I love Jacob. Because remember, they was twins. So they came from the same man. They had the same blood running through them. So the most I said, man, was Jacob, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, was Jacob, uh, was Esau not Jacob's brother? Yeah, it was kinfolks. Read. And I hated Esau. He said, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. Do, do y'all hear this? 
But we're understanding this. Now, let's go back to Romans. Let's read in the Romans now in the New Testament. Sorry, Paul. Mm-hmm. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So he says, is there unrighteousness with God? Because this is what people say. Man, not my God. God God ain't like that. Y'all making stuff up. Y'all making God to be out to be a hateful God. So people say, so the scripture said, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is the most high unrighteous? He said, God forbid, which means no, he's not unrighteous. He's always right. So he's right in his hatred that he has for Esau. Read on. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. No doubt. Read on. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Read. So then it is not of him that willeth. So it don't matter what your will might be. What's your Jesus, my, my Jesus? It don't, that don't matter. Read. Nor of him that runneth. You can run all all you want to talking about God loves everybody. You can run around saying that till you blue in the face. Read. But of God that showeth mercy. Read. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. So it's all according to the way the most high feels about nations. This is why he's giving the example of Pharaoh. He says, for the scripture said unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up, read. That I might show my power in thee. So why was Pharaoh raised up? That I might show my power in thee. Why was Egypt a mighty nation? That I might show my power in thee. And how did he show his power? He crippled that nation. Read. And that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So everybody has their place and their role to play. That's what he's saying. Read. Therefore, have he mercy on whom he will have mercy. No doubt. Read. And whom he will harden it. So the most, if the most high want to have mercy on Esau, he will, but he don't. He said he hated him. That's a very strong word. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, God don't hate. Uh, yes, God does. He's just told us in several verses, and it's, it's elsewhere in the Bible as well. Read on. Thou wilt say then unto me, why does he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Who's resisted the will of the Most High? Read. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Who the hell are you to say God loves everybody? Well, God wouldn't do that. That's not the God of the Bible. Who are you to say that? We ain't nobody. Read. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Why did you make me this way, God? Like you got people running around now. I'm a male trapped inside a woman's body. God, why'd you do this to me? Like the most high makers. <laughs> man, society has got people coming and going, man. Y'all better not be believing this nonsense. I'm non-binary. <laughs> what the hell is that? Stop. Hype, you are what the most high created you to be. 
and you don't have a choice in the matter. You don't. I just hope he made you an Israelite, <laughs> and he he made it so you could see this word and start living this lifestyle. But you are what he made you. Read. Have not the potter power over the clay? Come on, we just lumps of clay. The Most High created each and every last one of us, the good people, us, his chosen people, and the nations, the people that he said were nothing. Read. Same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. So he made our vessel to honor. He made Esau his vessel unto dishonor. So he has a role to fulfill. Read. What is God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known? Endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He says endured with much long-suffering. You don't think the Most High is suffering watching Esau and all the debauchery and all the wickedness that he's been doing? You don't think the Most High is sick of seeing that? But he has a plan for him. He has a purpose. Read again from the top. What is God willing to show his wrath? What's the purpose of him enduring Esau's wickedness? Willing to show his wrath. So the Most High can come and show his wrath. Can deliver his justice, his righteousness. Read. And to make his power known. And to make the whole world see who's more mired in the great U.S. of A. The Most High. Read. Endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Why was Esau created? Endured with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He was created to be destroyed. Read. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. And he's going to make it known to the whole world that we're his chosen people the whole time. These are the riches. We're his glory. We're the vessels of mercy. He's going to have mercy on us for all the stuff we did against him. Read. Which he had afore prepared unto glory. And he been prepared this kingdom of glory for us. That's what Christ was talking about, y'all, in the New Testament when he says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. That's what he said. When he said, I go to prepare a place to be, this is what he's talking about. That place is being prepared for us, being prepared for us. Now, listen, listen to what Paul says right here. I can't say it, no message. Read it. Even us. Even who? Even us. That's exclusive, y'all. <laughs> Even us. Who's the us? Whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He's talking about us, y'all, even when he says the word Gentile. I'm going to you. Watch this. Read. As he says also in O.C., I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. The O.C., y'all, is Hosea. Let's go there. Hold this. Let's get Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 10. Matter of fact, we're going to start up at 9. People don't even know, man. Paul was quoting the Old Testament. And that word Gentile just stole people off. But I want y'all to understand, and I went over it last week, 
how the Israelites during the time of the Maccabees, during the time of the Greeks, they were Hellenized and became Greeks, but they were still what? Israelite by nation, by genealogy. It's no different than now, man. We run around calling ourselves Americans, but we're really Hebrew Israelites. Let me dumb it down for you. So a Chinese man born in this country, is he an American? Refer to himself, or people will call him what? Chinese American, right? But he's still an American citizen, but is that his origin? Is that his nationality? No, it's not. He's a Chinaman. Come on, we can understand something as basic as that, but we start reading the Bible, we all logic just go out the window. <laughs> we just forget about it. Read this. Hosea chapter 1, verse 9. Hosea 1, verse 9. Then said God, call his name Lo. I'm sorry. Let's nine. get the backdrop. Uh, jump over to verse 1. 1 1? Yeah. Hosea 1 and 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the son in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Kings of who? Kings of Judah. Three. And in the days of Jeroboam. So Judah is the southern kingdom, which consisted of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and a portion of the Levites, because you have to have a priest in the land. So that's the southern kingdom. And then he says, and in the days of Jeroboam, which would be the northern kingdom, also referred to as the ten tribes, y'all. So this is who he's talking about. And specifically, he's talking about the ten tribes. So he says, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So you had the kingdom that was split. We're going to get into that. So you had Israel, which was the so-called ten tribes, which would be the northern kingdom. And then you had the southern kingdom, which was Judah, Benjamin, and a portion of the Levites. So this is who he's uh, talking about, referring to in the book of Hosea, when he's telling Hosea to do this, and we ain't going to read all of it, but he told Hosea to go marry a hoe, a harlot, a prostitute. And the reason he told him to do this is because he was trying to show us, through using Hosea as an example, how we've been treating him. <laughs> how we've been treating him and how we've, how we've been horned as a nation. So, now watch this. Uh, read verse 9. Verse 9. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. You see that? So he said, he, the Most High was disowning, disowning the northern kingdom at this time. He said, man, I ain't going to be your God. You, y'all ain't my people. Read. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, ye are not my people. Now, we just read this out of Romans. I told you all, Paul's quoting the Old Testament. 
He says what? Read that part again. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. Innumerable multitude. Read. And it shall come to pass that. It shall come to pass, meaning that this is going to happen in the future. Read. That in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people. Now, where has it been said to us that we ain't God's people here in the Americas, right? We fighting for our identity right now. Because the first thing people say, oh, they ain't God's chosen people. In the place where it was said that we are not God's people, read. There it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Y'all are God's people. Y'all are the chosen people of God. Read on. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. So once again, y'all, when it says the children of Judah, it's talking about the southern kingdom. It says the children of Israel shall be gathered together, the northern kingdom, and one head, that's Christ. So let's go back to Romans, and we're going to read the same thing we just read in Hosea in Romans, the ninth chapter, verse 25. Telling y'all, man, don't y'all be just reading the New Testament. Read the whole book. It's one book. You got that? Yes. Romans 9, so in O.C., Hosea, read. I will call them my people, which were not my people. And her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass. Y'all see this? Now, the verse before this, read verse 24. Even us, whom he hath called. So even us, the Israelites, of, of which Paul is, matter of fact, let me get that too. Uh, jump over to chapter 10. No, not chapter 10. Jump over to Romans chapter 11 and read verse 1. Romans 11 and 1. Let's get who the us is. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Meaning, no, he has not cast away his people. If you have some clowns talk about the most high stop dealing with the Israelites. No, he did not. He said, God forbid, read. For I also am an Israelite. Of, so Paul said what? For I also am an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham. So Paul said he's an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham, read. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. He's telling us clearly here who God chose the people are. He said he's one of them. And even gave his tribe. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 9 and read verse 24 again so we understand when he says us, who's the us he's talking about is. Romans 9.24, even us. Even us, those same Israelites. Remember? Romans chapter 11, we just read it, y'all. Even us, read. Whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Those Gentiles that he's referring to is talking about those Israelites who grew up thinking that they was Gentiles, man. Thinking that they was anti-oceans thinking that they were the people of Colossians, thinking that they were Galatians. Those Israelites that took on the identity of these other nations, but they were really Israelites, y'all. That's why the next verse reads, As he saith also in O.C., 
I will call them my people, which were not my people. Those them is the even us in verse 24, which are the Israelites. Read on. And her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. No doubt. Now, let's go. uh, Yeah, let's do this. And when he's talking about this, they should be called the, the children of the living God, this is the northern kingdom being adopted back to the Most High by way of Christ. So let's prove that. Let's prove what happened to the other ten tribes. So let's go to First Kings, y'all. Because the, and I'm, the reason I'm doing this, y'all, is to give a history of our people and further uh, disproving the myth that those Jewish people are us. Because you ask them, okay, well, what happened to the ten tribes? Because if you're the Jew, that's only the tribe of Judah, but it was still, what, uh, 11 other tribes. So what happened to, matter of fact, they, they, all, they also be saying that they Benjamin and Levi too. So if y'all the, the southern kingdom, then what happened to the northern kingdom? What happened to the other ten tribes? Please tell me that. So let's get what happened to us <laughs> according to the Bible. So in First Kings uh, chapter eleven and verse one. First Kings chapter eleven verse one. Read. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Mm-hmm. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, mm-hmm. women the daughter of Pharaoh meaning the Egyptians, read women of the Moabites, uh-huh. Ammonites, uh-huh. Edomites, see this, go ahead, Zidonians and Hittites. So Egyptians, the Moabites, the uh, Chinese, the Am- Ammonites, the Japanese, the Edomites, so called white people, Zidonians and the Hittites and Africans, African nations. So Solomon had all these nations as wives. Read. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go in to them, mm-hmm. neither shall they come in unto you. Mm-hmm. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Mm-hmm. Solomon clave unto thee in love. We find that in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, he told us not to do those things because we were going to start worshiping their gods. And sure enough, we did this and turned to idolatry. I'm sorry, y'all. Hold on for a second. I'll be right back, y'all.
All right, y'all, I'm back. Um, so we were in First Kings chapter 11 and verse 2. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. So Solomon fell into idolatry, y'all. Jump up to verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servants. So the Most High told Solomon, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to another nation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said I'm going to give it to thy servants. So read on. Notwithstanding, in thy days, I will not do it for David, thy father's sake, mm-hmm. but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Mm-hmm. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for thy David, for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. So he said he was going to take away the kingdom from David, and he was going to leave him with one tribe that tribe being the tribe of Judah. But this is what happened. So let's jump a little bit. Um, let's go to First Kings chapter 12 now. Matter of fact, read First uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 43. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So Solomon dies. Rehoboam comes into power. And I want you to read uh, chapter 12, verse 1 now. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. Mm-hmm. And it came to pass, when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. So Jeroboam was going to be uh, Solomon's um, replacement, basically, of who the Most High would give the ten tribes to uh, over his son, Jeroboam. So let's jump to verse 19. Matter of fact, So, y'all, we ain't going to read all this. Y'all go back and get it at your own time. But what happened was the children of Israel 
we wanted uh we was cool with Rubbone running over us. We just wanted the uh workload to be made lighter. But he was like, No, I'm not gonna make the worst the workload lighter, I'm gonna make it harder. So uh because of that, this happened. First Kings chapter twelve, verse nineteen. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. Israel rebelled against the house of David, David from the house of Judah, from the tribe of Judah. So all the Israelites went against Judah. Now, this is the beginning of the split of the kingdom, y'all, which happened in around 930 B.C. Now, we're going to read the rest of it because some very important information we got to get read. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. So you see, um, Israel, the what we call the nine and a half tribe, who the world calls the ten tribes, broke off from the tribe of David or the house of Judah and made Jeroboam our king. This is the northern kingdom, y'all. Read. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Read. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin. With the tribe of who? Benjamin. So it wasn't just the house of Judah. It was also the tribe of Benjamin that followed the house of Judah. So it was Judah, Benjamin, and when you went to a land, whatever land you went to, you had to have a priest. So there were Levites there. And you might hear a lot of brothers uh, commonly referred to as the southern kingdom as the two-and-a-half tribes. What we're saying is Judah, Benjamin, and a portion or half the tribe of Levi was in the southern kingdom. So read that part again. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Mm -hmm. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So y'all see this. Like I said, this happened around... 930 B.C. All right. Matter of fact, let's see. I should have it here. Got a little time left. And once again, y'all, these are historical facts. I'm going to go to this Jerusalem timeline. It should be in here. Do-do-do-do. Yep, here we go. So read this right here. Yeah. And tell me where you read from. From Wikipedia, independent Israelite capital. Circa 931 to 930 BCE. So it's a, get the dates again. Circa 931 to 930 BCE. So 
around 931-930 before the Christian era. That's what the BCE means. Read. Solomon dies, and the golden age of Israel ends. Jerusalem becomes the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, led by Rehoboam after the split of the united monarchy. So this is the, 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 the split of the kingdom, like I just said, like we just read out of the scriptures. So this is biblical history, world history, y'all. All right, now let's get Second uh, Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. So 17 and verse 1. 2 Kings 17 and 1. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. And now, this the, is all history, y'all. Read on. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, mm-hmm. king of, Israel, uh, Egypt. of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him, shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria. Now, and- Samaria was part of the, it was the capital of the northern kingdom, y'all. So this king of Assyria, Shalmaneser, he went up and did what? And besieged it three years. Mm-hmm. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. So this is very significant. He took Israel and he carried us. I'm sorry. Yeah, he took Israel and he carried Israel away into Assyria. Read. And carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. And y'all might see brothers do uh, or talk about this, man, and they'll even have the picture. We used to have the picture at the school. Michelle probably still got it. But us being led into captivity by the Assyrians, and you can see us with the braids and stuff and the chains around us being led into captivity. Now, let me go back to this timeline Uh, Hold on for a second, y'all. I'm looking for something. Here we go. Yep, 
So I'll read this right here from the timeline. Yep, 712. Okay. From Wikipedia's Neo-Assyrian and Neo-Babylonian period, 712 BCE. So this happened in 712 BCE. Just reading it out of the Bible, y'all, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, right there. Assyrian siege of Jerusalem. Jerusalem pays further tribute to the Neo-Assyrian Empire after the Neo-Assyrian king, Sennacherib, the city. Right. This is 712 B.C. All right. So it tells us, read it again in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halaf and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So he took us out of our lands, and he put us in other lands. Read on. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities. From the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them. Idolatry. This is what we've always been guilty of, y'all. Idolatry by, by way of being around the other nations and assimilated. Read on. And wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. We, we, man. If we're not the Israelites, there are none, man, because we are so damn stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-headed, man. The Most High can just keep coming to us, keep showing us signs, keep telling us we're doing things wrong, but we just keep on the course that we own. Read. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant <laughs> Read on. that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them, and they followed vanity and became vain and went after man, the- It ain't no different than now, man. We try to tell our people that we need to keep law, statutes, and commandments, but our people just want to do their own thing. They don't want to be told what to do. We reject the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High. It says, and they follow vanity. And that's what the hell we do, man. This is why you got so many of us self-medicating, man, on these damn drugs. Drinking syrup and popping pills, and um, we all 
on the on uh, Instagram, on social media, showing the debauchery and all the wickedness that we doing, man. It says we we and became vain. We became worthless. We're not we're not worth nothing anymore. We don't even value life. How many damn uh, kids you hear about O O D M man? Just worthless. We don't. And went after the heathen that were round about them. And that's always been our problem. The word heathen, y'all, synonymous with synonymous with the word Gentile. We keep going after the nations. Read. Concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Don't be like the nations. Read on. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two cows, and made a grove and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. It's no different than now, man. Our people just got to celebrate damn Christmas, Nimrod's birthday. And they're going to be up in arms and getting into all kind of debauchery of this upcoming weekend with so-called New Year's Eve. See, this this is us all day, every day, man. We're the people of the Bible, y'all. We don't. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and use divination and enchantment. Now, when it talks about uh, sons and daughters passing through the fire, we actually were burning our kids up. And this is the worship of... Um, the God of, what's the name of the God? Come on, man. It's been a minute. Come on, help me out. Um, yeah, Molech. This, the, the, this is how you serve the God Molech. You actually burnt your kids up. This day and age, we ain't burning kids, but we running into abortion clinics. Well, we was anyway today outlawed it in certain states. But that's. When you go get that abortion, man, you're serving the God Molech. Because to serve the God Molech, you would have to offer up a sacrifice so you could get benefits from that sacrifice. And what's the main thing that people be saying when they go get abortions, especially women? Oh, this baby going to hold back, hold me back from my career. Oh, I ain't trying to be no daddy. Man, I got stuff to do. I got stuff I want to do. I'm too young to be a father. I got dreams. I got hopes. All of this is celebrating and worshiping Molech. Read on. And sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Northern kingdom, most high, removed us out of his sight. This is what Hosea was talking about because he's part of the northern kingdom. He says, uh, when the Most High told him, you are not my people. This is what he's talking about. The Most High was so fed up with us and our idolatry, he disowned us. Read on. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. You see this? And I, I've seen and heard a lot of Israelites try to use this scripture to say that. <laughs> It was only the, the, the Judites or the southern kingdom that the Most High continued to deal with. And this is the uh, black, Hebrew, the black, the, the what do they call Negro only. This is the part of the Negro only doctrine. They try to pull this scripture here. <laughs> Read on. Also, Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord, their God. Right. 
they try to make it seem like they was just the uh, on some pedestal and they was just doing everything right. But what does the scripture say right here? Also, Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. So the southern kingdom was doing the same thing, idolatry. Read. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel. He rejected all of us. Read. And afflicted them Mm -hmm. and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. Uh For he rent Israel from the house of David. And they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. Because what Jeroboam was doing, we didn't read it. But Jeroboam was saying, hey, man, Jerusalem is too far for y'all to travel to because we have to go back to Jerusalem for the high holy day. He said, it's too far for y'all to travel to. Hey, I got God set up over here. Y'all ain't got to go away over there. Y'all can worship these gods. And this is how we got into more idolatry. Read on. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Now this happened around 722 BC, y'all. Around 722 BC. Now, let's go to the Apocrypha. So we're going to go to Second Ezra, chapter 13. And we're going to start at verse 29. Second Ezra 13, 29. Behold, the days come when the Most High will begin to deliver them that are upon the earth, and he shall come to the astonishment of them that dwell on the earth. So this is talking about deliverance. The Most High sending your house shall to get us. Read. And one shall undertake to fight against another, one city against another, one place against another, one people against another. See, it ain't going to be peace when your house shall come back. That's why he said, think, think not that I've come to send peace on earth. He said, I've come to send a sword, which means division. So in the in the last days, when Christ comes back, there's definitely going to be a separation. Y'all talking about racism now? Hell, wait. Christ is going to bring the racism. He's going to bring the uh, the separation. Read. And one realm against another. And it's even letting you know that the spiritual realm is going to be fighting. And you read through about the spiritual realm uh, going to battle all throughout the book of Daniel. And we got a little bit last week in Maccabees. Read. Verse 32. And the time shall be when these things shall come to pass, and the signs shall happen which I showed thee before. And then shall my son be declared, whom thou sawest as a man ascending. He's talking about Christ. Read. And when all the people hear his voice, every man shall in, in their own land Leave the battle they have one against another. So all the nations are going to be fighting. This is the Armageddon that the church be talking about. They're going to be fighting each other, read. And an innumerable multitude. And it said they're going to leave from fighting each other. And an innumerable multitude, meaning all these nations, read. Shall be gathered together as thou sawest them, willing to come and to overcome him. All these nations are going to stop fighting each other. They're going to turn around and start fighting Christ and the angels. (laughs) Read. 
but he shall stand upon the top of the Mount Sion, and Sion shall come and shall be showed to all men. Being now, when he says he's going to stand on, on the Mount Zion, meaning he's going to stand on the top of us. He's the government of Israel. Mountain is referring to government. Read. Being prepared and builded, like as thou sawest the hill graven without hands. Mm-hmm. And this, my son, shall rebuke the wicked inventions of those nations, which for their wicked life are fallen into the tempest, and shall lay before them their evil thoughts and the torments wherewith they, they shall begin to be tormented, which are like unto a flame, and shall destroy them without labor by the law, which is like unto fire. So the most, this is talking about how shall destroy the nations. This is the end of days, but it's a point I want to get to, y'all. Read on. 39. Yep. And whereas thou sawest that he gathered another peaceable multitude unto him. Listen to this, another peaceable multitude, read. Those are the ten tribes. Those are the what? The ten tribes. Those are the ten tribes, the northern kingdom, read. Which were carried away prisoners out of their own land in the time of Osea the king, whom Salmanessar, the king of Assyria, led away captive, and he carried them over the waters. And so came they into another land. So y'all hear this? This is the same thing we just read in Kings, y'all. So I think this is a good place to stop. We're going to continue here uh, next week, Lord willing, from this point right here. And I got a couple of historical references I'm going to bring out. But I hope y'all enjoy the class. Hope everybody got some edification from it, some understanding. If you got any questions, man, like I say, hit me up. Area code 314-482-9110 for questions, or like I said, you just want to rap to a brother. But until next week, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tazapod. Tuesday. Tazapod. Tuesday. Tazapod. Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say shalom. shalom.